So Father's Day, Father's Day, we're going to do something a little bit different. Is uh, on Friday afternoon, three fifteen. We're wrapping up what we're going to talk about, and so we had this uh, sermon kind of where we we're going to share, and we we're going to talk about different aspects of it, and uh, I threw out this idea. I said, hey, I, I just remembered. This was years ago. I just remembered, and I don't know why I had this, but I wrote down a couple years ago what I call Doyle Proverbs, and Doyle Proverbs are these little sayings that I heard all growing up that um, even though he didn't think I was listening, I I was listening half the time, and I, I actually remember some of the stuff that he said. And so I pulled them up, and I, I started reading through them. And one, he was amazed that he was that smart. And I said, well, that one wasn't you, but yeah, I get it. Um, and I said, what if we just have one of our father-son talks that we've had so many over the years where we're just talking through life, we're talking through uh, relationships and career, and, and maybe we'll start sharing some of those phrases and that you guys can hear kind of our conversations and the things that we've, we've talked about over the years, and, and uh, maybe you can, you can learn some stuff along the way. So, so here's some, there's some biblical instruction about uh, fathers, about parenting and about fathers, and I just want to read them, and I want to... Wait, wait, wait. What? I have something that I want to do first. I have a tradition that I, I started. I was really trying to move I know. Past. I have I a tradition trying, that I started. I trying okay. to get going here, get So I, I've been a dad for like six years now. And um, one of the reasons why I became a dad was because I love dad jokes. All right? That is like, whoa. And I couldn't tell them before. Now I can tell dad jokes. So I want to give you some of my most recent dad jokes. Okay? Before we get into this whole Bible stuff. Um, all right. I'll start off with some real easy, cheesy ones. Here we go. What did the horse say after it tripped? Help, I've fallen and I can't giddy up. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, let's go with another farm joke. Uh, what do you call a cow with two legs? Lean beef. <laughs> what do you call a cow with no legs? Ground beef, there we go. You guys are awake back there. Thank you. All right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, this, one's for the, this one's probably better for Mother's Day, but I'll throw it out there. Um, when a woman is giving birth, she is literally kidding. Not funny, men don't get to talk about birth. Okay, no, sorry. never, ever. No, oh, I no, ran this one, no. I ran this next one by um, one of Moy's kids, and he gave me a courtesy laugh. Uh, what do you call a deer with no eyes? No idea. <laughs> Don't laugh. Heck yeah. He will literally keep going if you laugh. I have so many. Um, how about this? My friend keeps saying, cheer up, man. It could be worse. You could be stuck underground in a hole full of water. I know he means well. <laughs> no? All right. Just reaching now. Okay. All right. Let me give, okay, I'll give you two more. This one's political. Yeah, that never gets us in trouble. <laughs> this one's political. Let's see how this goes. Uh, the Secret Service isn't allowed to yell, get down, anymore when the president is about to be attacked. Now they have to yell, Donald Duck. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is my last one. Uh, I bought I, some... I don't know if that was funny or if I was just relieved. <laughs> Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, last one. I bought some shoes from a drug dealer. I don't know what he laced them with, but I've been tripping all day. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. All right, let's pray and get out of here, huh? <laughs> no? No, I have to read scripture after that. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so here's the deal. What we're doing today is, uh, this is his idea, and he came with, and he sent these to me, these sayings. What's interesting about them is none of them are really profound, all right? And, uh, but they have, uh, they're in his brain, and they have helped shape his values, worldview, and guide him in some way. Listen to this passage from Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talk about the, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses, on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give you and your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Listen to this in Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forget your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Here in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So we always think about that. We think, well, we've got to sit down. We've got to do Bible study, which is a good thing to do. But that's not the primary reason, the way you teach your kids. It's when you rise up and you lie down, when you go here, where you go there. It's life. And so, dads, we just want to encourage you. These simple little sayings you're going to hear, none of them are original with me. Uh, they shaped me. They helped shape him. It's as you go through life, little, just little insights that you have that you've been taught, and you share those, it actually is training up. It is building. Our theme is building something to last. What you're building is character, worldview, value system by what you teach them, and you don't even think they're listening. And turns out they were, at least part of the time. So that's what this is about. It's not about Doyle's really wise. It's about simple little things that can actually shape them. As you're growing and you're learning and you're sharing that, it can shape, and that's the point of this talk. Yeah, so um, I was thinking about some of the conversations we've had and the ones that have stuck out in my mind. And, and I used to work with young adults all the time. And, and when you're in your 20s, I kind of call that the decision decade, because in your 20s, you're going to make 80% of life's biggest decisions are going to be made during, during that decade. Who you marry, your career, where you live, your values, all of that is being formed in your 20s. And so it was true for me as well as when I was in my 20s, I was really trying to decide some of the big stuff, who I was going to marry and, and what my career was going to be. And it took me about five years of wrestling through what am I supposed to do? I was doing business and I was also in ministry and I was coming to a point where I had to decide. I gotta choose one of these that's gonna be my, my career. And so we had tons and tons of conversations about it. And I remember um, one specific conversation when we were sitting at a barbecue place and we're, we're talking about this and I think he's probably at this point getting kind of frustrated. How many times are we gonna talk about this, this same issue? And so he said, Cody, here's the deal is I understand you got a lot of safety over here and this is comfortable, but if you think that God is calling you to do something else, it's kind of like a trapeze artist. You're gonna have to let go of one end in order to grab on to the next thing. You don't oftentimes get to the, do the monkey bars where you're gonna hold on to one and then grab the next. No, sometimes life is about, I've gotta let go of this thing in order to pursue something that's better. And it's scary in between. And that's kind of where faith is, is it's, it's that letting go and trusting that there is something else for you on the other side. Yeah, so it's the whole, um, it's the whole Hebrews uh, 11 thing, right? So if you remember Hebrews 11, I, by the way, I, he sent me these, and I looked at them, and I went, these are, a lot of these aren't quoting scripture, but they're quoting the concept in scripture. Hebrews 11 lists all the heroes of the faith who by faith made decisions. Noah built an ark. They, I, so Abraham, for example, in I think it's verse 8 or so, by faith Abraham left his home 
to go to a land that God had called him to, but he didn't know where it was. He had to let go of this in order to get to this. Sometimes in life, we need to do what God calls us to do, even if we can't see the clear path how it's going to work out. We got to trust him with that, with that outcome. So maybe you're dating somebody dysfunctional uh, and you know it's not the best thing for you. Maybe they're not a Christian. And to let go of that is scary because it's comfortable and it felt like your future, but you know it's not the right thing. In order for God to bless you over here, you got to let go over here. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes you got to do that. Some people, it may be addiction. You got to let go of that so God could bless you here. But it's, it's that trapeze thing and it's Hebrews 11 by faith. By faith, we follow God. He'll take care of the outcomes if we'll just do the obedient thing in the process. Yeah, and so there's, you kind of have both sides of this. Sometimes you feel like God's calling you to do something and you're supposed to let go of this one thing and then trust that there's something else there for you. But sometimes you don't know that you're supposed to let go. And so I'd ask, well, what if I don't know what I'm supposed to do? What, what if I'm not sure what the direction is, you know? And, uh, and he would say, uh, just do the last thing that God called you to do. Just keep doing the last thing that you know that God told you to do. So when I was, uh, uh, before we started in California, in a church here, I was in a, on a staff in the Midwest, and I knew I was supposed to start a church. Sometimes God lets you know the what, but he doesn't tell you the when and the where, right? And so I knew the what. And so I, I asked my senior pastor, um, I want to start a church downtown Chicago. And I got back a five-page no, no. I went... And so I was out with uh, another staff member who was a former football coach, and just the most common sense, that's really common sense. And, and I said, dude, I'm, I'm so confused. I know I'm supposed to start a church. And he said, no. And he says, okay, here's what you do. Keep doing the last thing you know for sure God told you to do until you hear the next thing for sure you know you're supposed to do. Now, what was interesting is, is that I knew that I was supposed to be a part of that church and help build the, the youth program and all the stuff I was doing. I knew for sure that was, I had a hint that this other thing was coming, but I didn't know the where and the when. Eventually, it turned out God gave me the same call, but in, with better weather. Thank you, God. But anyway, um, but, but here's the deal. I said, well, what does that have to do with you? So, so maybe you're, so people are always freaked out about God's will. What does he want me to do? What does he want me to do? Here's a better question to ask yourself. Am I already doing what I know he wants me to do? Well, God doesn't speak to me like that. Sure he does. You have a Bible. I know for sure he wants you to love Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, treat your spouse the way that Jesus would treat her, um, love your kids. Those are all things that God wants you to do. And so a lot of people, oh, I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do next. Well, let's check. Are you doing the things you already know? I'm not sure God's going to release that opportunity to you until you're already focusing on these things, getting these things done. So for two years, I operated under just keep doing the last thing you know for sure God wanted you to do. And God blessed me for it and prepared me for it and all that kind of stuff. And so sometimes when you're, you're kind of grasping, stop, stop grasping for straws and just keep doing what you know for sure God wants you to do until he opens that next door in a really obvious way. Yeah, so a lot of our conversations um, revolved around, uh, I would say the majority of them revolved around relationships, navigating relationships and um, anything from uh, marriage to coworkers to friendships, groups of people that we're hanging out with, and um, and I think that's probably where uh, where we had some of the toughest conversations because it's it's interesting. You've got a there's two sides to it, and so we'll address one side and then the other side. There's the one side which is um, selecting friend groups and people coworkers that you're hanging out with that you're letting influence you. And one of the things that you would tell me is, um, and I, I I think I understand it, but I'm. I'm not as redneck as you are, so I'm not sure I do, but it's be careful whose star you hit your wagon to. I don't have a wagon, but I, I think I understand what you're saying. This is my dad saying. My dad was uh, 
from Oklahoma before they came to California during the whole Dust Bowl thing. And, and, uh, and uh, so it was, two, it was two things. When I was younger, it meant be careful who you hang out with. As a matter of fact, it says in Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And so one thing every dad, every parent tells their kids, be careful who you're hanging out with. And I say it to adults too, because, so, there's, so in Oklahoma, in a certain part of Oklahoma, especially eastern Oklahoma, there is red dirt. The dirt is red. And then and, and the places they go swimming, you wouldn't go swimming because you're used to like clear water. But there... <laughs> not if the, you're from Seal Beach. Well, that's not. true. <laughs> Jetty water. I don't know what's in that. But anyway, um, so uh, and, and if you go swimming in one of these red dirt ponds, you will come out with a red tint. Now, to wash off your skin, but your clothes, not so much. Same is true with your friends. The people you hang out with are going to determine where you go in life. They're going to have an influence. They're going to leave a little hue on your life. It's not that you can't be friends with lots of people, but the people in the inside, the people are influenced. You need to be very careful, right? All dads teach that. That was a part of the lesson. As I got older, he taught me that that you're going to invest. I finished with this last week. If you were here last week, I said, we all need to be helping somebody else see their God dream come true, right? As I got older, he was, be careful who you're investing in because you only have so much to invest in this lifetime. Make sure it's somebody who's sincere, somebody who's sincere about being like Jesus, making an impact in the world. Make sure you hook your star, your potential, your opportunity to somebody who's going the same place you're going. Be careful about who you associate with. And that was kind of his way of saying it. Sometimes you don't know, so this is all about um, surrounding yourself with healthy people, heading in the same direction, same beliefs, um, and that makes sense, but sometimes you don't get to see people who f- for who they truly are, right? Like, they, they appear to be someone who's heading in the same direction, doing the same thing, and then they leave. And one of the things that you had said over uh, the years was, if God removes somebody out of your life, don't go and chase them that he might be saving you, he might be protecting you from something. Right, and this is friendships. Now, like marriage, you're in it, okay? No options, you're in it, all right? Until, what is it? Death do us part. So this doesn't apply to marriage. There's a whole different set of rules of marriage. But relationships, um, friendships. Um, it, 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 one time I called my dad up, and, and, uh, and there was, how many were at the church? Let's see, we have four in our family. Yeah, there were six in, in our church, and and one of the six was going to leave, and it wasn't my wife who was threatening. But um, uh, and and th- and it was a few more people than that, but not many. And I remember calling my dad and go, "This person who's a person of, of of some some resources and some some reputation in the community, um, and and just I thought it was important to our future." I called my dad and I was just devastated. One of our few people in town is leaving, and and I, I don't get it. And I, and I wanted to go fix it, and because I assumed it was about something I'd done interesting thing there. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But he said, trust God. Maybe God is saving you from something. Now, I don't know if he had an intuition or if that was just a principle, but it wasn't long after that then the truth about this person came out, and he'd been living a double life, very ungodly, and ruined his reputation, would have ruined our reputation, and would have been damaging. And his words in my mind, my dad's word came back to me, let him go. Sometimes God is going to move somebody out. Um, so here's what we tend to do. And as a pastor, it's hard for me to learn. It, we tend to want to make everybody like us. And so if somebody's kind of moving away, we're going to go fix it. Now, honestly, if you did something, own it and fix it, right? If you messed up and you said something bad, don't defend yourself. I messed up. I'm sorry. Let's re- resolve this. 
And there, there's a time for that. But there are other times when you can't figure it out, but you immediately go, what did I do? Because the world revolves around you, and it's all your fault. It's not. Here's what I've learned, is that a vast majority of times, I'll look at myself, if I did something, I will go fix that. But a vast majority of time, it has nothing to do with me, and I'm trying to insert myself into this equation. And that person is leaving because there's something about them. Something they want to, so another time I had a friend I'd invested a lot in, and all of a sudden they, they stopped showing up, uh, and they started talking to other people about me and started talking trash and saying things that weren't even true. And I'm like, what did I do? And then I remember these words, okay, I'll just wait. I'll just stand back and I'll wait. And the next thing I know, uh, it comes out that they're back into their addiction, and the only way they could kind of get themselves off the hook with their friends, say, oh, Doyle's a jerk. It had nothing to do with me. I did nothing but love these people. Sometimes people move away because they don't want to go where you're going. They don't want to be more like Jesus. They don't want to pay the price to, to move the direction you're moving. And sometimes you've got to be okay with it. You're not okay with what they're doing, but you've got to be okay to move forward yourself. And you can't go chasing after everybody. And that's a hard thing to do. But if you're really going to be like Jesus and you're going to be who he calls you to be, there's some people who aren't going to go with you. And that's hard to deal with sometimes, but you have to. So there's this tension that you've described where you have to live in the tension where when you find yourself in relational conflict, it is owning yours and then leaving the rest, right? And you've always said you got to live in that place. So first thing that comes to mind is um, growing up, we would have family meetings, and maybe you have these in your family or you grew up with them, where there would be some conflict. Let's say it's between my sister and I. And hypothetically. Hypothetically, this wouldn't happen. Let's also say that it's uh, predominantly her fault. She's kind of an emotional mess. Um, she's a bit of a relational disaster. I was just trying to love the Lord, and she was off doing who knows what. Um, I'm just, this is hypothetical, obviously, right? Believe me, it is hypothetical. Okay. <laughs> this. And, um, and so we would sit down, and we'd have a family meeting, and we would start to kind of discuss what the conflict was about, and I was just saying, you know, I was, you know, I was fasting and praying, Dad, uh, like every good 16-year-old child does your daughter, and then I would begin to describe what I'm sure you are aware of all the issues with her. Um, I began to describe. I was, I was aware of some issues, all right. <laughs> so I began to describe, you know, here's what she did, and this is her fault, and then, and they would, and this would bug me so much. They would, they would stop me, and they would say, son, she's not your problem. <laughs> she's your problem, <laughs> um, but she's not your concern. Your concern is you, you don't get to fix anybody else. You don't get to tell them to own their stuff. You can only own your stuff. And so what is it that you need to own in this deal? And like, well, I mean, maybe I was too forgiving. I don't know. You know, what do I, what do, I do? I, too loving, too vulnerable? I don't know. I don't know, Dad. What do I do? You think he's joking. He really thought that was true. <laughs> so... He, he would always push back and say, what do you need to own in this? And so there is that place that where when you're in conflict, you have to realize that it may not be about you and that God might be removing somebody from your life for a good reason. And then you also have to say, but what do I need to own in this? Because there's always something that I can own. And it's about um, exploring your own faults and having to admit them. So, so there's kind of a distinction here. So there, there are people who travel with you casually, and there are people who are committed to traveling with you. Usually it's family, 
certainly a spouse, not always family. Sometimes that doesn't work either. But, but people who are close to you, and, they, and you know that they love you, and they care about you, but you hit conflict. It's in those times, so like I, somebody asked me after one of the services, so if my wife's not doing whatever, then I can just leave her. No, no, the marriage thing is the marriage thing, all right? We'll talk about that a, a little later. But, but how does God shape us? He shapes us by his word, he shapes us by prayer, but he shapes us most by rubbing up against each other and knocking the rough edges off. The Bible calls it iron sharpens iron. And so when you're in a conflict with somebody you know loves you and cares about you and, and wants you to move forward to be like Jesus and is on their way to doing the same, then you gotta stop and look at what do I own in this thing? What did I do? What do I need to learn? How do I need to let the Holy Spirit shape me in this moment? And it's in those moments you go to the person and say, I'm owning this, I'm sorry, I did it. Even to your children. Sometimes, dads, you got to go to your kid and say, you know what, dad was angry and I'm tired and it's no excuse. I shouldn't have said that. I am sorry. I find that the people closest to me who are traveling with me shape me more than almost anything else. And in those moments, then I need to look at me and what do I own in this deal? So we're going we're gonna to run out of time and watching the clock. So let me put three of these together. And this was sayings that you um, would tell me whether it was career, whether it was relationships, whether whatever it was, these were kind of some of your keys to success. You would tell me um, you got to keep showing up, you got to just try and hit a double, and you got to keep the main thing the main thing. So let me say those again. Keep showing up. You, uh, I know you're a little elderly, so I need to repeat these. Um, keep showing up. Yeah, because I can't talk or listen fast. <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Uh, hit a double. It's the sweater. Keep the main thing the main thing. I just feel really relaxed in the sweater, you know? Just, oh, Matthew 25, 23 uh, is the uh, parable in which the master is going away, and he gives each of them uh, a quantity of, uh, of riches, treasure, gold, and two of them take it, invest it, and one of them buries it. And the point of that parable in part is that whatever God has entrusted to you, it is your responsibility to grow it. Because the first two heard when the master returned and they'd invested it well, well done, good and faithful servant, right? The third one says, oh, he says, oh, you didn't do anything with it here. I'm going to take it away from you. What we need to understand and we need to own every day is that whatever God has given you, whether it's breath, life, spouse, family, children, uh, career, that it is a gift from God, and he has entrusted it to you, and that you're to grow it. Now, here's the deal. I don't know how to grow it. That's okay. It, it wasn't that they had to grow it a certain amount. It's that they had to take it seriously and not run away from it. What did the guy who buried his treasure, what did he do? He ran away from the responsibility and the opportunity. He was lazy. He didn't want to deal with it. Here's what I say to dads. Show up. Show up. That's the first thing. Just show up. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Show up. God will help you figure it out. Just show up. Um, and then the second one is just try to hit a double. So, so we live in a, in, a, in a world that just glorifies people that can hit home runs, literally home runs and figuratively home runs, whether it's a home run in business, home run in, in the movies. We like people. They go big. Do you know how many people go big? Not very many people in the world go big. All right? Not many people have become billionaires. Not many people are going to play in the, in, in the majors. It, it, it's just not. But here, let me tell you something. Uh, you could have a pretty good batting average just hitting doubles every week. Matter of fact, if you never hit a home run in your whole career and all you hit was doubles, you'd have the greatest batting average in the history of baseball. Dads, you don't have to hit home runs. You may not ever hit a home run with your kid. If you hit doubles every week, you'll be a great dad. You'll be a great dad. Show up, 
Hit doubles. Just be there. Be consistent. Be there. Be that guy. And keep the main thing the main thing. So um, in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. If you are consistently seeking to know God better, consistently learning and growing, becoming like Jesus, and showing up, that combination is powerful. Because as you're growing, so the Bible says that our mouth speaks out of what's in our heart, our mind and our heart. And what's in your mind and your heart as a growing Christian are things that are worthy of speaking. There are things that will shape your children. They, they will feed into them. God will use those to feed their spirit and to grow them. Show up. Be growing. And just do your best. You don't have to hit home runs all the time. Here's who hits home runs all the time, tries to hit home runs. Dads are not doing their job. Dads who aren't showing up. Dads who are workaholics or whatever. And they come and they got to hit home runs so they buy them something. That's not what your kid needs to be shaped. That's not investing well in your kid. That's not why God gave you that kid to buy him stuff and spoil him right? He, he wants you to invest in them on a consistent basis, showing up, loving them, investing in them, teaching them what you're learning. All right, we're going to run out of time, so let me give two more. Um, this one, I think, is probably the most uh, practical in that I use it every week. I use it in my own life. I use it in my marriage. I use it uh, when I'm doing counseling for people, and it is the simple phrase, agreed upon expectations, Agreed upon expectations. Every, every premarital counseling session I've ever done, I start off with, okay, do we have agreed upon expectations? And then we start going through all the categories of their life. Agreed upon expectations when it comes to finances, when it comes to your future family, when it comes to, so agreed upon expectations. So I don't know where Connie and I learned this, but if you've ever been in a, in a couples group that we've ever taught anywhere around here, um, uh, this is a key for our marriage. I think it may have saved our marriage. And uh, I don't know who taught it. I would give credit if I could remember where we learned it. Uh, it's not original to us. Uh, so um, I, I always tell this story just to kind of illustrate it. Uh, Connie and I got married. Everything was going great until we got back from the honeymoon. And we got back from the honeymoon and went to bed. And every light in the place was on and the doors were all unlocked. And she looks at me and says, so what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, the lights aren't on the doors locked. I said, I know. What are you doing? <laughs> and he said, well, uh, you're supposed to turn off lights. I said, no, you're supposed to turn off lights. Well, in my house, my dad stayed up late and he turned off lights and locked the doors, made sure every night. I said, well, in my house, my mom turned off lights and locked the doors every night. It's a, it's a woman's responsibility. <laughs> so we slept for two weeks, every light on, every door unlocked. <laughs> and that's, that's not really much of an exaggeration. I don't even want to tell you how bad it got before I finally took the garbage out. Because <laughs> it was her job. And... Uh, and the point we found out was that just because she had expectations from her family, I had expectations from my family, didn't mean that was the expectation for our family. Right? And so we had to begin to build a marriage brick by brick out of agreed upon expectations. Just because you expect it. Now, by the way, when you get married, there is a foundation. The foundation is laid for you to build bricks on. What is it? Till death do us part. We both said it. We agreed to it. Everybody witnessed it. That is an agreed upon expectation. Now that we have that foundation, it's never revisited. We never negotiated. It's a done deal. It's a contract. We've got that foundation. Now, we'll build bricks. Who takes the garbage out? Let's negotiate. Let's figure out who that job that is. Whose job is to do this? Who's going to take care of the finance? Who's going to do whatever it is? Because here's what happened. Well, he never. And he goes, but I never knew. I, 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 well, I didn't agree to that. Right? Well, she just doesn't, did you ever talk about it? Did you ever brick agreed upon expectation? Same is true with kids, by the way. Uh, kids, 
uh, family meetings. I'm a big believer in dreaming about what the future looks like for a couple, for a family. Okay, kids, now, remember two weeks ago we had a family meeting? Remember we talked about what kind of family we're going to be? We're going to be kind of family have fun, and we play together, and we never yell, and we certainly never, ever, ever hit each other. That's kind of family we agreed to. Right, guys? Yeah? And what did we say would happen when we did it? Mom and dad were going to have to have to withhold something. There would be some kind of, right? We agreed to that. We all agreed, didn't we not? And we also agreed to that because then when we're this kind of family we agreed to, we get to go to Disneyland, we get to do fun stuff. But when we're not that kind of family, we can't do that. Right, kids? Agreed upon expectation. Let's revisit that, right? Even when they're teenagers, you can build expectations. My job is to grow you to adult. My job is to make you responsible. I never agreed that you needed to like me. That's not my job. My job's not to make you like me. I hope you love me in the, in the end. But right now, in this moment, the, the agreed upon expectations, I'm the parent, you're the child. If you're not good with that, the door is right there. No, sorry. Um, <laughs> did I ever say that? Because I thought it a couple of times. Anyway. Yeah, I tried to move back in, remember? I tried to do the boomerang millennial thing, and then we you were like... We did have to kick <laughs> you out that time. <laughs> That's not that happening. That time was like, we're done. Oh, that was a bummer. Uh, okay, last one, real quick, and I'll make this one fast. This one actually came from my grandfather. Um, if you guys have been here, you know that my grandfather passed away last year, and um, as we knew that the end was coming, um, I went and I visited him because I wanted to have, you know, a last conversation with him, and he's, he'd been a pastor forever, and he'd been married forever, and he just, he really lived the life that I want to live, and so I, I said, Grandpa, give me some insight. What what did you do? What do I need to know? Instill some wisdom in me because I want to finish like you're finishing. And um, he looks at me and he says, Code, don't touch the girls, the gold, or the glory. And then he went back to watching Fox News and that was it. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I guess he just wanted me to kind of sort that one out on my own. But I think it's, it, 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 it's about keeping the main thing the main thing, keeping your faith front and center and just finishing well. Yeah. Here's what it says in, in Proverbs uh, 6, 20 through 24. My son, keep your father's command. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, uh, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light. And correction and instruction are the way to life. Now, this all sounds really good. But here's what you need to know. These, these kind of theoretical thoughts have very practical implications. Here's what it says. So it finished the correction instruction out of the way. I finished what it says in verse 24. Keeping you from your neighbor's wife and from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. What he's saying is these things I've taught you are not theory. And because they're there, they will come back to you. When you're about to make a bad choice, your dad, your mom's words will haunt you in the best kinds of ways. And so dads, I just want to encourage you today. As you are doing life with your kids and you are sharing with them, they're catching it. It's getting in there. It'll come back to them at the right moments. Don't give up. Don't get frustrated. Don't live in any kind of fear or shame. Show up. Keep talking to them and they'll turn out all right. Thank you guys for letting us share with you. Thanks for letting us talk today. Let's stand together. And we just thought we'd try this, something a little different. And the point again is not Doyle's wisdom. The point is God will give you wisdom. Share it, and God will use that. And uh, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. You are so good to us. Thanks for being our Heavenly Father. Lord, we learn in our relationship with you how to be a better parent. I pray for the dads in the room today. Maybe there are some here doing a lousy job, and they know it. 
Give him courage to trust you and to get in there and keep showing up, Lord God, to do a little better with your help. Lord, for, the, for most of the dads, probably all the dads, they're doing their best. Be with them. Lord God, give them insight. Give them wisdom. Send your Holy Spirit to take their words and put them deep in their children's heart so that they can be good stewards of this gift of children and family you've given them. And Lord God, bless them. Give them a great day today. In Jesus' name, amen.